Today on Government Matters, the coronavirus isn't stopping the Pentagon's cybersecurity drive. CMMC leader Katie Arrington gives you the timeline. Updating IT at the Department of Education. Chief Information Officer Jason Gray shares his secret for success. And one of the longest serving chief information officers is leaving government this week. My exit interview with NASA's Renee Wynn. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Defense Department will start training the first certified third-party assessment organizations that will audit contractors as part of the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Program. The first group of cyber evaluators could be trained and ready to go by the end of April. Katie Arrington is Chief Information Security Officer for Acquisition at the Department of Defense. Katie, welcome. What went into the, the creation of the standards that the C-3PO's will use to assess contractors? So we took the model itself and we have been working with, uh, as we have from the very beginning, Johns Hopkins, uh, Carnegie Mellon, SEI, um, the Department of Defense and the accreditation body uh, training uh, working group to create the training uh, that is standardized for all of the C3PAOs and individual auditors that will come through assessments. Um, even in COVID-19, they have been working diligently. Uh, actually, yesterday they were uh, doing some uh, Pathfinder simulation on taking the actual uh, assessment testing and see how they scored and to make sure it was mapping out correctly, that we were getting what we wanted from the training and the curriculum. How standard are the standards, Katie? Will they evolve over time or are they set and contractors work to that? and that's pretty much it. The standards should evolve. Um, what we're in the process of a default rule change on the CMMC um, that will uh, be public. Uh, there's a public event in, uh, well, with COVID, I'll say it's in May sometime. But the, the model the way it stands, Rev.1, will be what we create the training against. As the threats evolve, as the way the adversary comes at us changes, as technology evolves, we will modify with industry, with the accreditation body, with NIST, how that looks. So a year from now, it may be slightly different. Um, as we look through the initial pathfinders, I'm sure we're gonna be tweaking some things, but the whole pretense of the model was to evolve as the cyber threat and cyber um, ecosystem changed. What happens if I'm one of the companies that goes through at the very beginning, Katie, and a year from now the standards are different? How do you follow up or how do I as the company follow up to make sure that I continue to be qualified to do business with the department? So the stand, when you get certified from the auditor, who can only be from the CMMC accreditation body, um, that will be good for three years. So we need to ensure that we, A, um, get you set up ready as a company, that you're ready, willing, and able, and capable to do the work that we need. But also part of this is that we'll actually have an interaction so that we can really start helping companies with getting threat information in a more timely manner with the accreditation body and with the government. It opens up a, a communication link. Um, one of the, the groups, um, agencies that the government has, we don't get a lot of visibility into is DC3. Um, this is going to help connect small businesses 
more easily to DC3, the, the Defense Cyber Crimes um, Unit. Also with the ISACs, you know, we have a National Defense ISAC, we have a Space ISAC. This is gonna help us get threat out to the small businesses specifically to help them with patches, with updates more effectively. There's some concern from the small business community, Katie, that this is going to make it more difficult for them to do business with the department at the very time the department's saying we want to do more with small businesses, especially companies that traditionally haven't done business with the Pentagon. What are you doing to try to mitigate whatever challenges this will present for small businesses? So I came from small business. The whole purpose of the, the um, CMMC uh, was making a unified standard so that we could lower the barrier for entry for those non-traditionals and small businesses that may have never done or thought that they wanted to do work with the government before. Because we're, we're putting out a clear, concise message, um, the requirement on CMMC level one, which we need to level set the industry to understand that's what most contractors will have, there's 17 no-cost controls to implement. There's simple things like updating your passwords and making sure that you have something to remind yourself to do that. Um, and the fact that we're willing to pay for that, that making security an allowable cost, that the minimal amount of money that will be required um, under $3,000 is, is what we're focusing on for CMMC level one will be a barrier that will actually lower it for those small and non-traditionals, that they have a clear, concise, um, we need to do these to get involved with the government. It's timely. But what it also does is it level sets competition for small businesses. Today, if a small business has DFAR clause 252.204.7012 that actually ensures that they have the NIST, the National Institute of Science and Technologies, Special Publication 800-171 R1, that they have the 110 controls that they're supposed to be doing today if they're touching controlled unclassified information. The way the process works right now, that we all self-attest. Everybody says, I'm doing the 110 controls. Some small businesses maybe have a POAM that they're only doing 80 of the controls, and that they're self-attesting, that they're NIST compliant, that they're compliant with that DFAR clause, their rate will be lower versus a company that is actually implementing all 110 controls. They are both technically acceptable by the core. When they look at you know, who has the capability, they're both attesting. So it actually, right now, the current model that we have out, the current DFAR rule is actually, it, it makes it uneven in competition for small businesses. The CMMC is a go, no-go decision. You either are or you aren't ready. You either are certified or you're not. There's no ambiguity. And that is huge for small business. Plus, we're willing to pay for what we need our industry to be able to do. A lot more to cover, and we're out of time, but I'd love to have you come back and continue the discussion, Katie. Thanks very much. Thank you. Up next, the Department of Education gets an A-plus on the Fatara scorecard. Straight ahead on Government Matters, how the agency made the grade and how other agencies can improve their grades, too. You're watching ABC7. Department of Education and the General Services Administration's Administration have A-plus grades on the latest FATARA scorecard. They're the first agencies to get full marks 
on that scorecard. Jason Gray is the Chief Information Officer at the Department of Education. Congratulations on the A+. Thank you. We talked a little bit before we went on the air. The challenge is keeping it going, and we'll talk about that later in our conversation. What do you think got you to where you are? What's your secret sauce for an A-plus grade, Jason? So uh, I would say the collaboration and partnership with the CXO community, uh, the, the secretary and deputy secretary and all the assistant secretaries, and keeping it front of mind. Mm -hmm. The deputy secretary and assistant secretary level seems to me to be the piece that has been missing over the years. Not, not picking on education, and I'm not picking on the current set of people, but historically, that's been the missing link. Is that maybe the biggest driver for you? I, I would definitely say so. I, I will say, and I shared this at the award ceremony, that one of the, uh, when the deputy secretary got on board, I was walking through, we were a D, and now we're a B plus, and he was like, you know, Jason, that's great, a B plus is great, but an A plus is better. Mm -hmm. uh, and let's focus on getting there. What do you think were the, the kind of the milestones of getting to where you got, not grade-wise, but accomplishment-wise inside the department, Jason? I, I think it's the, the collaboration and the partnership mm -hmm. uh, with the different, at the department, the principal offices, and making sure that uh, everyone understands their role and how they contribute to the department as, as a whole mm -hmm. improving. It's interesting that you emphasize that um, because to me, I would have expected that you would have said, well, we reached this particular milestone IT-wise. You're talking about cultural stuff rather than information technology achievements. Yeah, no, I would agree. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a combination of things, not mm -hmm. just a collaboration and partnership, but the, the partnership has been absolutely critical, knowing that you know every month talking and briefing to the secretary and the deputy secretary on where are we at, how are we doing, meeting regularly with the assistant secretaries to talk about uh, their piece of our IT modernization strategy and their role in compliance with FITARA. So that's that part's also I think striking because five years ago, ten years ago in this community I don't think the deputy secretary or the chief financial officer or the chief human capital officer would have thought that they had a piece in an IT modernization effort inside a federal agency and obviously that's changed completely. Absolutely. That has been critical to our success as we have gone through, uh, last year we went through a massive IT transformation in the department and there are, are bumps along the way. I remember before we even kicked off the secretary asking me, is this going to be bumpy? And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but during those bumps, everyone pulled together to work cohesively as a department, not a, oh, that's an OCIO or an IT thing. It's mm -hmm. this is a department thing. We're all going to work together uh, to move us forward. One of the emphases that both Tony Scott and now Suzette Kent have made as the federal CIO is IT modernization is a journey, not a destination, so this is going to be a continuously changing thing. What's changing at the Education Department? What are kind of the major things that you've got in the bucket right now that people can expect to see in the next year or two years? So uh, a few things. We, in 2000, early 2017 is when we began the journey. We did an assessment, and I've spoken with you about that before. Mm -hmm. Uh, the focus was on we're 100% cloud, but we have a lot of cloud, a lot of cloud sprawl. So we're focused primarily on cloud consolidation because uh, it not only reduces our footprint uh, from a, a threat standpoint, mm -hmm. but it also reduces the administrative overhead and we gain efficiencies. Uh, we've also looked at uh, the manual processes that we have in the department, uh, which was also part of the assessment and a part of our roadmap. Uh, we have a five-year roadmap that will, you know, if executed on, could save us up to $200 million in savings. Uh, but in the manual process, the manu we're focusing on leveraging things like RPA to, uh, to automate a lot of those 
manual, very scripted process. It strikes me too that it's very helpful that there are a lot of other agencies headed the same direction. Absolutely. What's the level of collaboration like around a topic like RPA, for example, in a mechanism like the CIO Council? A lot of discussion among your peers Absolutely. Across Actually, just Wednesday we had uh, Gerard from uh, the CFO from GSA briefing about the RPA playbook and where agencies are, a very collaborative conversation so that we can learn from each other instead of having to go out on our own to figure out how do we do this. What, what do you, back to the Fatara scorecard, we chatted a little bit before we went on the air. One of the challenges has been each scorecard's different. There are new things added, tweaked, and so on. How does that possibility impact the way, I know you're not trying to get a grade, you're trying to improve the agency, Absolutely. and the grade is a measure of that, but how does that change the way that, I mean, certainly there's pressure on to keep an A+. Plus. That there is. So, uh, great question. We have, uh, one, I, I appreciate uh, Congressman Connolly's uh, willingness to share with the departments and uh, the CIOs to let them know that these are some of the things that could be coming up. Uh, thinking about, for example, the 21st Century Idea Act, mm -hmm. and you know, but those are things we should be doing anyway. Uh, how we measure is a conversation we continue to have. Mm -hmm. uh, I also uh, enjoyed during the recent award ceremony for uh, FATARA, we talked about a group standing up and the CIOs being involved with looking at perhaps some other measures uh, to incorporate into the FATARA scorecard. So we have a little bit more than 30 seconds left. What are the most important things on your agenda to meet some of the IT modernization goals that you talked about a few moments ago, the cloud consolidation and, and so on? The absolute most important is one, the collaboration between the team, making sure you have a really good team, which I have an awesome team, uh, and then the support from senior leadership. Jason Gray, thanks very much. It's great to have you as always. Thank you. Our coverage of the impact of the coronavirus on the federal marketplace continues at 8 and 11 every night this week on WJLA 24-7 News. And we want to hear from you. Email us your questions or comments at info at govmatters.tv or tweet us at govmatters.tv. You're watching ABC7. We'll be right back. NASA's increase on, increased focus on IT modernization has paid off. In the last few years, the agency's FATARA score has gone from an F to a C+. Renee Wynn is Chief Information Officer at NASA. She's retiring from the government after 30 years of service. Renee, thanks for coming on the program. What do you think your legacy is? What did you accomplish that you think is most important for the operations at NASA? Francis, it's great to see you and thank you for the invitation to join you here today to talk a little bit about some accomplishments that I've been able to achieve while I'm at NASA. As I walk off the stage for 30 years of federal government service and I get to do that from an amazing agency, which we call NASA, I'd say there's a couple of things that I would call my greatest, uh, my, my best accomplishments. And the first one is the team that I have been able to build and build and work with them to strengthen the team. As you know, Francis, federal government in the IT world has gone through a tremendous amount of change, whether it's the tools that we're using, it's also our operating models that we've changed, and those operating models affect people. So I have spent most of my time there really focusing on the team and putting the right folks into the positions 
as well as really focusing on the strength of the team so they can endure any kind of change and come out of that change which may challenge them as individuals as a very strong team so that they can lead their folks through the change as well as still provide services to NASA. So I'd say that's my best accomplishment. And the next one, which is much more IT oriented, is starting the foundational pieces for a strong cybersecurity program at NASA. Um, tools and operating models are nice ways of saying um, technology and process, I think. So people, process, and technology is really what you have built, what you have tried to improve in your time there, it sounds like, Renee. That's exactly right. The old adage when you're in the IT business, people, process, tools, if you don't do the people first, then you're not going to get anywhere with your processes or the tools. They will just wither away. In fact, to use as an example, NASA rolled out Office 365 uh, in 2019, and we finished that deployment just after shutdown. So that was a pretty amazing feat to be running and then take this long break and then pick up the pace and then still deliver the tools. And a lot of folks really grabbed onto those tools and used them. And a lot of people just ignored their existence um, because they didn't have the time necessarily or the inclination to go figure out how to use them. We offered classes, we offered the videos, but again, you're still dealing with folks that are always pressed for time. But I can tell you, this last week, we've been learning on the fly very quickly how to use those Office 365 tools. What do you think the biggest change is in the IT workforce that works for you between the time that you came in as CIO and today, Renee? I would say the biggest change is the way agencies see their chief information officer as well as their entire IT cadre. And I say this because when I started in IT a few years uh, before I even got to NASA, we were viewed as the deliverers of the devices, the desktops, the call centers, the data centers, the mobile phones as those started to come out. That's how we were viewed is give me my tool and I'm gonna run off and use it. That we've now shifted over the last six, seven years into becoming functional leaders and business partners. So I think there's a progression or a maturity. So you're a functional leader that you're seen as somebody that can deliver something that really enables the mission. And then the next shift is a business partner is that a mission turns to you and say, I need you to sit here at the table with me while I design my mission and so that you can go off and provide services or tweak those services to meet my mission needs. And so I've seen the CIOs going from just purely delivering hardware and software. Um, and even then that hardware and software was limited to desktops, mobile services and things like that. And now it's, we are at the table mm -hmm. and they're saying, okay, we've got this science mission. We need this kind of data. This kind of data is gonna pull down from the sky. We're gonna do it. We're gonna use it this way. We're gonna share it with this part of the world. And then we sit there and help them design that before we start flying. You mentioned one of the biggest mission delivery elements that your office delivers and that's cybersecurity. What are the big changes that you've made? Why do you think that's one of your biggest accomplishments, Renee? Well, the biggest change was to be able to answer some very basic questions 
that every CIO should answer. And that is you should know who and what is on your network at all times. And so at NASA, just as I arrived there, the Department of Homeland Security Continuous Diagnostic and Mitigation Program was being rolled, had just arrived at NASA. And I looked at this as a moment and I went straight to my leadership and said, hey, listen, we need to deploy these tools across the entire enterprise, enterprise networks and mission networks. And here's why we need to do it. We need to know who and what is on our network. And they agreed. And so we started deploying that tool. About 2016, we were doing the project planning and started in on 2016. We still aren't finished because uh, we've got mission networks which go into freeze freezes and that freeze can be for quite a long time. And so when the freeze gets undone, then we start that deployment. We never put them in mission control centers, but we put in their dev and test environments. So we know how there might be behaviors inside a mission control center. So we should be finished the end of 20 into 21, putting it on the appropriate networks at NASA. And so we now can answer the question through most of our network who and what is on it. That's a huge accomplishment because now when you see anomalous behaviors, you can start to figure out what that anomaly is. Renee, congratulations on your great career. Look forward to seeing what's next. Thanks for joining me today. Great. Thank you very much and all the best to you and the rest of the crew there, Francis. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you get a preview of every newscast by signing up for our daily program guide. You just text GovMatters to the number 22828. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 1030 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Andrew Wagner. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.